Welcome to the Mr. TV Podcast, a love letter to shows of the past. On today's episode, we're speaking with actor Scott Cohen about his role as Wolf on The Tenth Kingdom. Wolf is a barely contained explosion of a character. He's full of life and love, but also harbors a darkness as the embodiment of the villain from Red Riding Hood. His character is also the heartthrob of the series, and spends the entire show trying to convince Virginia that he has a lovable side too. We talked to Scott about what it was like auditioning for the role, the nine months of travels he endured for the shoot, and why he and creator Simon Moore are still hoping to produce a sequel. Scott Cohen, welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, today we're talking about the Tenth Kingdom and your role as Wolf. So I guess the first question is: Is how did you get involved in the show? Um, I uh, it's uh, I love telling the story. Um, I was approached by my agent at the time, who I was in I was in their office in the agency's office in New York, mm-hmm. and probably complaining about something. And he came out and he's, he was actually, he was not my point person at the agency, but we knew each other and I got some projects through him. And he uh, said to me, here, come into my office. I want to talk to you about something. And uh, I went into his office and he said, I have the perfect thing for you. I think you're going to love it. It's, you know, it's, it, it's, it's kind of a fantasy series. Uh, it's a great character. And then he, uh, he turned around and he grabbed all this paper and he said, I want you to read it tonight. And he like slammed it on the table and it was literally, I don't know, 500 pages of material. <laughs> and I was like, what, are you kidding me? And he was like, I, it's fantastic. I'm telling you, it's going to be great. And mm. I went home with this tome of a script and started it on the subway as I was get, get, uh, going home and could not put it down and finished it that night. Um and fell in love with the story and fell in love with the character and uh, was convinced that I would never get it because at that point, you know, I had no kind of, I mean, I had done a lot of stuff, but not, did not have any real cachet. And then uh, just started going through the audition process, and which was a whole other aspect of it. When you were reading that sort of 500 page tome that you had on the subway there, what caught your attention about the character? Um, that's a great question. Uh, I, I think his, his humanity struck me first. Um, his struggle with, uh, his identity and, and struggling with who he was, um, which is something that I think I, I'm always attracted to, um, in a, in a, in a story. And, and I felt like his struggle was, was, I guess somewhat akin to mine and um and and even in his even in the end there's still a struggle for him to kind of uh truly just simply be who he is and and allow himself to kind of be that and that that I think really kind of grabbed me. Uh I mean the next step was really trying to figure out how do you express that and how do you uh even in in an in an audition uh scenario how do how do you express that and how how do you get that across? Yeah. Um, that, that really was the task. Yeah. And before we get into the addition process for listeners at home who who might not have watched the show or might not be familiar with the character, how would you explain Wolf? Wolf is a, uh, he's part, part human and part wolf. Um, you know, it's very, you know, people are are real quick to say that he's a werewolf. He's not a werewolf. Mm -hmm. 
um, like he's not a human that walks around and turns into a, 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 a an evil wolf at, at night or at, at a full moon. But he is um, he is half and half, and he walks around as a with a tail and with all his wolf mannerisms uh, as partly a human being. And then there are moments when he turns into complete wolf. But he's uh, he is basically the wolf in Little Red Riding Hood with a twist where he uh, he falls in love with Little Red Riding Hood. He doesn't want to eat her or. Uh, uh, or he, I mean, actually, in the beginning of the story, he's confused. But she, yeah, yeah. She meet her, dirty <laughs> lover. What is really troubling you? Okay, all right, all right. Oh, Doc, I met this terrific girl, and I really, really, really like her. But the thing is that... Look, go on, say it. I, say it. Not sure whether I, I, I want to love her or eat her. Oh, oh. Um, which is that's part of the that's the beauty of, of, of what Simon wrote. And so that that's who he is. Uh, and he's a he's a poet. He's a he's an observer of, of the of the human and animal condition. Uh, he's a lover. Um, he's loyal. He's um, uh, he's almost a character out of the wizard of Oz where he doesn't trust what he has that's innate in him. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's all in him to have. You got through presumably 500 pages of, of material about yeah. Wolf and then you headed to, uh, to the audition. So what was that like? Um, well, I first, I, I had one, first I had one audition. Um, and then I had a call back with, for the, for the directors and for Simon and my first audition, I think, I was, I'm not even sure what my first audition was like, to be honest with you. I just really right. remember my second audition. And in my second audition, I was, there was a woman who was auditioning, I think, for Kim Williams' part, sitting across from me. And I actually asked her, I said, do you want to read uh, and kind of go over the scenes? And she was like, no, no, I don't want to do that. And, and I, uh, and so I was kind of looking at her and I started to feel like, you know, um, just kind of organically, kind of like she's Virginia, and um, and I need to eat her, and <laughs> and I felt, and and all of a sudden, and it really came out of nowhere. Although I had researched, like you know, I, I had looked at um. Uh, images of wolves, and I think I, at that point I had already been to the zoo, mm -hmm. and I kind of looked at at at, at, at like uh, at, at at wolf behavior. And so, um, as I was looking at her and kind of becoming, you know, almost like Bugs Bunny hungry, um, <laughs> my my hand went up to my my forehead, and I started scratching it really hard, mm -hmm. and it was as if I was like, you know. Um, frustrated and and hungry and uh and 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 just you know really kind of like um uh like an enormous amount of angst and it was just a constant like um uh flutter of my hand on my forehead and that became like the kind of essential move of of wolf throughout the entire show and um and then when i walked into the audition uh for simon and and the directors i literally uh I, and it, it, I kind of, um, I remember the scene that they auditioned was, 
I'm, I'm remembering it as we're talking about it. Um, the scene we auditioned with, one of the scenes was when he turns into a wolf and, and, and he's telling Virginia to lock him up. And I like, I looked for things in the office that I could jump onto and hang from. And I literally jumped onto something like, I think a bar on the ceiling <laughs> and I hung from the ceiling and I jumped down and I ran across and I scratched my head. I mean, I was all over the place and they, um, I, I remember the the initial feedback from that audition was like, oh my God, the energy that he had. <laughs> it was like, and we caught it on tape. It was insane. And so that's kind of, that's, that's, and it, and what happened, you know, sometimes a character in an audition, especially sometimes you just click and it mm -hmm. just kind of happens and there's no, you know, there's no thought process involved. It just kind of appears. And, um, this is what happened with that. I guess kind of like the way that you sort of started to transform when you got into your audition is kind of yeah, like an organic totally. sort of process. Yes. Yes, yeah. exactly. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, well, we had spoken to Simon Moore before this and he, he mentioned that there are ways to play a character like Wolf and that he saw so many people get it wrong. And I was wondering, what do you think it was about your performance? Um, whether it was energy or your mannerisms that you learned from, you know, doing that research at the zoo, what do you think you did that got it right? That's, a, that's an interesting question. Um, uh, I would, I'd, I, I'd want to answer that without sounding, um, uh, arrogant, <laughs> but, um, and I'm not really sure what Simon saw. Um, but I think that what I showed was vulnerability and humor um, and a real kind of self-effacing uh, attitude toward who he was and that he himself, although taking himself so seriously, didn't really take himself so seriously. <laughs> he really, he, 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 he had um, great ambition and great perception and great. I think I, I, I guess love is really. I had a lot of love in it. I had a lot of passion and a lot of love for the character. And you know, he was never evil to me. He was never bad. Yeah. He was never. Um, he was never. He was. He was his motivation was love throughout the entire, entire story. Mm. Um, so when you got the role and you had heard back from Simon and the directors, I mean, what were your, uh, I guess, what were their expectations for you? What, what were you supposed to do after mm. that? Um, well, at first I, I got the role and then they, you know, they offered me like so little money and, and it was, oh. uh, and it, at that time, which is, I'm similar now, but, uh, they called it a buyout, which is like, you know, um, you just make a certain amount of money and there's no residuals. I've never received the residual from the 10th kingdom. Mm. Um, and they, you know, so I had to wait actually to see if, uh, they would come up and I mean, eventually they did. Um, and I, um, you know, it was such a huge thing because I, you know, uh, I was gone for, for nine months in mm -hmm. totality. So I was, you know, I left home, I left a three-year-old kid and my wife and, you know, it was, uh, 
a total like, wow, this is like, I'm going, I'm not just going like to New Mexico. I'm going to London and Italy and Austria and France and Switzerland. And, you know, I'm going everywhere. Um, and so that part was pretty hard at first and then getting there, uh, I would say, I mean, the first person that really kind of uh, really started to develop a character with me was Jill Taylor, who was the costume designer, who was absolutely brilliant. She's okay. doing Tom Cruise's movie at the moment, Mission Impossible. But she she was brilliant and put me in things that were, you know, I mean, it was as if I just slipped into something and became what was in what was in the costume. And um, and then my first scene um, was directed. So there were two directors and the first scene was, was, um, was directed by David Carson and David Carson, uh, who's British. And, um, uh, I, my first scene was with John Larroquette and it's when I'm first introduced to him and I come in and I give him a, a huge contract, uh, to kind of hand, like I, I, I trade him, uh, magic beans for a contract. Um, to find the girl. Well, this is a joke, right? No, no. There's a standard multiple wishes deal. Six wishes. No going back on wishes once made, no making five wishes and wishing for another thousand. Now, come on. Is that a fair deal or what? Now, where is your lovely daughter? And I think I was a little shy and David took me aside and he said, listen, we hired you because in the audition you exploded mm. and we want that. We want you to explode. And so that's all I needed. I needed the permission to kind of just go where, wherever I wanted to go. Yeah. And, and he said to me, he said, if you go too far, I'll pull you back, but I want <laughs> you to go that far. And so from then on, it was just like, see ya. <laughs> and that was it and um and then interestingly enough herbie on the other hand uh herbie wise the other director his his um thing was all about kind of internal angst and um and kind of movie stardom and and uh and 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 his thing was all about like you don't have to do much it's all there and so the two of them really kind of provided I mean, it was, it was almost like being in a masterclass for, for, for nine months. And, um, and they kind of provided a very, very safe environment and boundary for me to explore Mm -hmm. and, uh, be comfortable and, um, and, and explode really. Yeah. Uh, One thing I was going to ask is that, you know, you'd mentioned that they, they, that the, the director said that, you know, if you ever went too far, we would pull you back. Did that ever happen? Um, I don't think so. Hmm. Uh, honestly, I think that, you know, they really just let me go. And I had a, uh, a, just a cat, a, a, a cache of ideas. I mean, I really had just so many thoughts and, and, um, and I didn't hold back. I never held back. And, and, um, no, I don't think they ever, Herbie every once in a while would say that's too big you know, bring it in, like, you know, because that's what he wanted. Like he wanted more kind of the romantic, uh, leading man thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but for David, it was just, you know, no holds barred. Oh, I must fight what I am. I can't even remember what I've done. You better tie me up that way. I can't escape. 
At the beginning of the show, you are trying to find her. You have this contract from, you know, Diane Weiss' character, the evil queen. You're trying to get her and you have this internal conflict. But, you know, your character shifts from going, okay, I need to find this woman into, okay, I think I'm in love with her. I need to, you know, ultimately I want to be with her. Um, I guess my question is, is that, you know, you have this character that has two sides. One, which is sort of an over-the-top action hero style character and then the romantic lead. How did you find a balance there? Um, I don't think I found the balance. I think that Simon's writing found the balance for me. Mm. So I think that I simply, uh, and it's not simple, but um, I simply played the scene for what the scene was. um, And, uh, and, and, and allowed the story to, um, to be told. And, and so, um, on both sides of that, um, they're, they're really, they're really the, 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 they're, they're both, of, uh, they're both sides of the same coin. So to me, uh, the romantic lead or the action hero, um, if, if there is a vulnerability in, in, the, in the character, um, then there's really no difference in those two things. The, the, the action, um, hero is, is all about, saving the, uh, the romance. And so in whatever context, you know, so like if, you know, Wolf finds himself at odds with the, uh, the, the, um, the huntsman, you know, it's not, you know, that his, his thing is not about saving his life. It's about saving Virginia's life. And so it's all about, you know, uh, what, you know, what, what needs to get done in order for this. And, 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 and actually, um, I'm going to answer your question uh, because I think that really the the through line of it is that what he's trying to do throughout the entire uh, ten hours is that he he's actually trying to convince Virginia that she's in love with him, hmm. and so it's that's really where I think that balance comes in. So I think that uh, the romantic lead is what. Um, is what gets him in trouble actually like in kissing town um the action hero is actually what gets him in trouble with you know whether it's uh whether it's uh in in um little lamb village or you know wherever it may be but um but the through line of 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 that that his his goal his number one goal is to convince is to convince uh virginia that she's in love with him is really is what puts it, it puts everything in perspective. So that really creates the balance for him. I want to get more into um, your work with the other actors on the show. But one thing I, I wanted to ask you about is at the time, and, and maybe this has to, you can sort of clean up the chronology of things here. But at the time, you're also in a few other different roles. One is Detective Harry Denby on NYPD Blue, and as Max Medina on Gilmore Girls. But I was wondering, you know, from your work on those productions and on other productions, how was Tenth Kingdom different from those? Um, Tenth Kingdom was a uh, was a was a cinematic character. So it, he he was he had a beginning, a middle, and an end. Mm-hmm. And um, and you know, I mean, obviously he can go on forever. But in that story, he had a beginning, a middle, and an end. And it was very easy to kind of. Uh, develop uh, like what I just said, which was this, this through line and, and 
understand where his peaks and valleys were and, and what his catharsis is and, 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 uh, and how to kind of develop that character in, in almost those, those 10 hours are really a two hour movie to me. And I think that, um, you know, uh, he, he, he also is, he demanded from me, um, a, a mix of, of so much that I've done in my past that it became so much fun to use everything that I have, uh, in order for him to, to be real and authentic. And, um, I know that might sound a little kind of corny, but, uh, it, it really, it was a character that demanded all of me, not just a part of me. Um, you know, unfortunately, you know, you can get away with, you know, just, uh, giving part of yourself to a character, uh, and especially on TV, um, where the character's not developed as, as well as something like the 10th kingdom. And so, um, it just demanded so much for me from, from both, both physically and emotionally and, uh, and, and intellectually. And so, um, comedically, um, so that, that, that's really, you know, that's pretty much how I, how I separate him. Um, and I also think that he was a, uh, he's just a star, you know, I mean, Wolf's and it's you know it's it was such a pleasure to play him i mean he literally was like he could be a cartoon character he could <laughs> be a star he could be you know i could you know he could be the you know the mayor of new york i mean he's just literally <laughs> um he's a star yeah. he's really uh he's a leader and he's you know but he's doesn't necessarily want to be a leader um you know he's he's conniving but he's only conniving because he's looking for the good in people he's not conniving to for bad things and um, and and you know so and he knows right from wrong he really has a very clear sense of morality and and um and and so uh i i loved him mm -hmm. loved him acting right beside you throughout the series is kimberly william paisley who we had talked about before and she's with you for you know, a pretty extensive amount of time in the series i mean what was it like working alongside her um, I loved it. Uh, she was, um, she was really generous and really giving. And one of the things about, uh, you know, I mean, everybody knows this, I think that's worked in this business is like anybody could cut you down at any given moment. Anybody mm -hmm. can say something to you that will just put you over the edge and you'll never return to some kind of semblance of, of, uh, of, of, of kind of, uh, authentic or accurate acting. You'll, you'll, you'll forever be damaged. And, um, Kim could have done that because she was the lead and she could have been real kind of, you know, uh, I've worked with people that are like, you know, that just want to control a set. And she was not like that in the slightest. She was totally free. She never said anything to me that was like, never don't, don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, she just totally accepted me for who I was, allowed me to be free, um, you know, I don't think I ever crossed a boundary with her. Uh, I, I think we were really, you know, great together. Um, and we spent, you know, nine months together. It was, yeah. <laughs> it, was it was like we were family. Um, and you know, she, she was great. She was really great. And I, I have to say that, I mean, she mainly her because she was who I worked with the most. 
Yeah, I guess one one thing I find really fascinating, and this goes back to the whole balance question I had before about the romantically and, and sort of the actiony sides of Wolf, is that you know when you're with um, Virginia's character, you're at one time, you know, being tied up in a barn, kind of screaming at her about being tied up tighter, and then chasing her through a field, playing a game of hide and seek. I mean, what was it like shifting between those two modes while you two were acting on set? I felt like that's that's a relationship. It's mm. like you see all sides of somebody. Um, it's never, you know, you see the hurt and you see the rage and you see the uh, the playfulness and you see the vulnerability. And, you know, this is what a, a remarkable relationship consists of because we show uh, each other you know, all, all sides of ourselves. And so for me, playing the part, my job was to teach her that uh, even though she lost her mother and, uh, and she was abandoned, that she had so much to live for and that she was, um, and that I could show you how to live. I can show you that, you know, that, that all these emotions and all these things that happen and all, all, all the things that consist, consist of the human condition, these are, um, these are things that, 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 that you can discover for yourself, um, even though you don't, even though you have such little trust in people. And, you know, Wolf didn't have any trust, you know, in anybody. He was a, he was a loner. I mean, he was not, you know, he did not want to, you know, I mean, he knew that, you know, that the entire world was against him mm-hmm. and it's, uh, you know, but that didn't prevent him from loving. I mean, how great of a character. <laughs> it's amazing. It's really amazing. It's like, you know, that's somebody who's, you know, if you could do that in life, it's, yeah, that's pretty incredible. Virginia, mm. did you say that you were hungry for love and approval, but destined for rejection? I'm quite happy as I am. Thank you. Very nice, but it's very easy to get addicted. But why didn't you want them? How come you were able to resist the shoes and I wasn't? Because you have such a strong desire to be invisible. I mean, it's it's really kind of inhabiting, and hopefully this isn't a strange comparison, but it's really inhabiting kind of maybe the outlook of like an actual like family-owned dog in a way. Where I, I, yeah, they, I they, completely agree. Yeah, yeah, they just look at you with complete and utter love when you come in through the door. Unconditional. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. So, um, well, I mean, this miniseries um, is a real ensemble cast. I mean, you have Diane Weiss, Rucker Hauer, Warwick Davis, John Larroquette, and, you know, many, many other actors. And I was just wondering, um, do you have any experiences or memories working with them? Um, John Larroquette, I definitely have lots of uh, memories of working with him. He was, you know, he's one of the funniest human beings on earth. <laughs> um, he really knows how to turn a joke and uh, and and create a look. Um he, I learned a lot from him. Um, and he also allowed me to, you know, um, be this kind of mimic clown 
uh, gesture uh, that tagged along with him during filming where, you know, I mean, all that stuff wasn't written. It was like, I just kind of created, like, I'd repeat what he said, or I would like, you know, agree or disagree or, you know, I mean, and he totally accepted it. He didn't, uh, you know, and he was totally somebody who also could turn on you, like, you know, and, and make you feel miserable, but he did not do that. He, um, he just was uh, very present and very, um, very giving. And, and that, I mean, everybody was like that. And I don't know if it was because I didn't accept anybody. Like I just didn't allow anybody to kind of like put me in that position or, um, or if everybody, I mean, cause that, that often happens too. Cause if you just kind of like do your thing, then nobody's really going to say anything because it's, it's either too good. They can't say anything about it or, mm-hmm. you know, but nobody felt any kind of like, uh, you know, well, I'm the star and you can't do that. And, you know, everybody, Simon written, wrote, wrote such a great script that, you know, it was hard for anybody to kind of take over like that. Diane, who I've, uh, have, I was friends with then and I'm friends with now, uh, was wonderful. And Margaret, who I thought was a, I, I mean, I, it was weird because I, I worked with Anne Margaret on the 10th kingdom. And then like, just like within the next few months, I worked with her on another movie, um, miniseries. That was weird. And, um, <laughs> and she was amazing. She was like, you know, uh, did strange things behind my back, you know, growled and <laughs> said, oh, wolf. and, uh, you know, um, so she was great. Um, the trolls were fantastic. You know, didn't have what I didn't have a lot to do with them because it's a constant chase. Ed O'Neill, I came to, I came really close to, um, I became really close to, and I uh, really kind of enjoyed his. Uh, we had lots of conversations about acting, and he um, he actually taught me quite a lot. And he um, he was somebody who. Uh, he believes in just playing the scene and, you know, there's no, there's no past, there's no future. It's just the scene itself. And, um, that was really interesting, kind of a David Mamet kind of a look at, at, uh, of acting. And he, um, he was great. We hung out in France a lot, actually. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was quite fun. <laughs> I, I really, I, I don't have anything. I mean, I, I wouldn't say anything if I had anything bad to say anything about anybody. Oh, but yeah. I just, I, I really, I, I just did not, I I also was, you know, the character was a loner and I kind of turned into a loner as well. Like, you know, you know, during shooting, um, I hung out with Jill Taylor, the costume designer a lot. I think, um, I hung out with, uh, I mean, hung out with Kim. Like we went to dinner a lot. I think we lived in the same neighborhood. Um, but then I, then I, I kind of moved and went, you know, I mean, I, I, I really hung out by myself and, I was so focused. It was like, it was nine months of such, I mean, I literally was so focused. I, I don't think I've ever been as focused in my life. Hmm. So you just spent a lot of time lone wolfing it as, as, lone it, wolfing as it was. It, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mem- memorizing lines constantly and just, yeah. you know, totally and enjoying every, I mean, God, I'm in Europe. I'm, you know, I went you know to Vienna and I went to uh, Venice and I went to Salzburg and I went to uh, Geneva and I went to, um, all over France and Paris. And I mean, mm-hmm. it's crazy. crazy. I mean, that's, that's something I, I wanted to talk about because we had alluded to the sort of nine months of, of travel before this, but, and you talked about how it was pretty hard to sort of leave your family back in the U S and, and, but I had read in an interview that you were actually able at one point to have your son, I believe on set with you. Yeah, they, they came actually, unfortunately they came and the, my wife's father passed away. Oh, 
when they were there. Hmm. And so they, they went back. Um, that was really sad. Um, but so they didn't spend, I think they spent, I think they came twice and they spent maybe two weeks each time. Yeah. Because I, I was going to say, well, I mean, knowing that now I was going to just ask about, you know, the, the sort of toll that nine months sort of takes on you and, and having to be, I guess, away for an event like that must've been pretty hard. It was very hard. I, I cannot tell you. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very, very hard and it was not, uh, there was no FaceTime. There was barely email. Um, I actually think, no, they, they came once and then she went home because her father died. And then I actually went home for his birthday and, uh, and I was there for like maybe four days. And, um, and so, yeah, so that's what we did. Yeah. I mean, I remember reading, um, some sort of behind the scene things about, you know, it being pretty hard on, I think John Larroquette wasn't too happy with how long the travel had been. And, and I think you talked about, um, I saw an interview with you online about sort of being, you know, being on sort of a, like a, being like a touring band somewhat. Yeah, we, <laughs> it was, it was like that. It was totally like that. And we used, and we used like grips and, uh, um, you know, roadies from, from each country. I mean, oh, okay. I, yeah, we shot in Italy and it was like, you know, Italians and shot in France and French. And, you know, I mean, not the, the whole crew didn't come over with us into every country. So that was really fun and interesting and crazy and fantastic but yeah totally very hard um uh to leave the family um you know uh it's it's hard every job to leave the family and this one was just i mean luckily for me on my side it was you know so fulfilling um uh, for my wife and my son it was i'm sure much harder mm-hmm after sort of your nine months doing the show, do you remember what the last scene you shot was? Like, what was your, when did you wrap the show? Um, we wrapped, I can't believe you asked this and I can't believe I remember it. We wrapped <laughs> on, um, inside the, uh, the mushroom, um, where the mushrooms grow. Oh, okay. And, the, uh, the forest. The greater, wider shade of pale. Yeah. Uh, is playing. And, um, that's where we, that's where we wrapped. What was that like coming sort of the end of this saga of a show? Um, it was sad, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I made a lot of friends on that show that I'm, you know, I'm in touch with still not, not, I mean, I wish I was actually in touch with more of them, but I think I was really ready to go home. So I think that, um, and I was given like my entire wardrobe. And um, so I actually went home with, (laughs) it was insane. I think I went home with like three duffel bags of like 10th kingdom stuff. Oh my God. um, But then I literally like, it wasn't over after we shot. Um, We, uh, I, they flew me back a number of times to do um, to do press, but also to kind of see the um, the premiere. And uh, you know, so it it didn't end just kind of like you know in that year. It kind of continued on a little bit, and then um, so that was really kind of fun actually, because I, I went to London once with uh, with my son, just me and him, and um, yeah. 
and then actually right after that we went to we went my me and my wife and my son went to went to France um but yeah so it was uh it it it, it was I think I think I think I was ready for it to be over so I think it, it wasn't real it was emotional but not so emotional and you know I think by mm-hmm. that time it was just like ugh yeah I'm, I'm done gotcha so I mean when the show was wrapped and and you were going, kind of doing the the press conferences and and doing the sort of the premieres what do you remember about this or reception of the show what what were people saying about it at the time um the press conference uh i mean there was a lot of hype on the show you know um and i knew that it cost a fortune i mean i knew that it cost a lot of money um and one of the reasons i knew that was because we had big meetings in the middle of shooting mm-hmm. i think we were in france or austria or somewhere and we had all these big meetings because they wanted to cut all this stuff out and i argued no please don't cut this out please don't cut this out i mean this is wolf's like you know whatever and for me like every scene was wolf's like whatever <laughs> it was like, don't cut that out um but you know, and, and we were told that it's like, you know, this is what's happening. This is like, you know, and, but it, it, you know, uh, and at that time it was like, um, you know, Robert Halmy was, um, actually I have to go back a little bit because how it ended was we had a huge dinner. I remember, um, I forget where, but we had this huge dinner where Robert Halmy gave us this like send off goodbye and um and he gave us all like i mean this was when uh it 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 doesn't really happen like this much anymore but he gave us all he gave us watches you know okay. he gave us like you know really like expensive cartier watches and you're like this mm. is what happens it's like that's kind of cool it's like <laughs> i'm into that and um but it was like so loving like there was such a like a a glee to the kinds of things that he loved to produce um, and really, I mean, Hallmark is not like that anymore, nor is, you know, there's no company that's actually, I think like that, uh, that does what he did. You know, he, he produced big, huge movie, family movies. That's what he, he was like a Disney. And so, you know, his taste was, I think, kind of remarkable in that sense. Like, you know, maybe at the time they weren't like considered, you know, the, uh, the, you know, the, the rough and toughness of, of, of American cinema, but, um, but he really created great miniseries and hired great people to do them um, and spent a lot of money doing it. Like he was not shy about spending money. So, I mean, at that time, I think that miniseries cost, I don't know, $60 million or something like that. And that's $44 that time, million, dollars, which is a lot of money. A lot of money. Yeah. Then, I mean, crazy. So, um, uh, so I remember there being a lot of hype prior I remember the press, the TCAs, the press conferences. That was big. Um, I actually got, I got, I, 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 uh, I was shooting something else, this miniseries that I did with Anne Margaret, and I, I, uh, I said to the director, and I said, I have to go to this press con, this this press conference for this thing that I did in LA. Uh, we were shooting in 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 Colorado, and I said, it's just two days. I'll be there. I'll come back. You know, and they didn't, they didn't, they didn't let me go. Right? They wouldn't let me go. And I was like, um, no, I'm going. And I don't care what you say, I'm going. And um, and I would never do this today. And uh, and I got on a I got on a plane, and I got a phone call, and I was told that I was fired from the job. 
Oh, okay. And, um, and I go and I do this press conference, had a fantastic time, gr- big hype. And then I got back on the plane, went back to Colorado to get my stuff. And then I was told I was rehired. Oh, okay. And so, <laughs> <laughs> um, and so but it was uh, it was great. I mean, the, the, so the press conference was really strong and there seemed to be a lot. I think, you know, like all, all these press conferences, TV press conferences, everybody compares everything to like, you know, this, that or the other thing. But um we felt different. And then, uh, and then I think, you know, I mean, uh, to today's standards, the show would have been a huge hit, but at that time it wasn't a huge hit. And I, and mm. I'm, you know, I'm not really sure why it wasn't a huge hit. Um, it, you know, and I'm not sure, I, I really have no idea how, how, uh, the, the inner workings of NBC or how that worked, or, you know, I know they didn't, they didn't, I've been on shows that, that have been really like pushed down to the bottom. Um, but this was not, I mean, there was lots of advertising for it. There was lots of press for it. Uh, you know, I got a lot of attention for it. Um, and so it wasn't, um, a, it didn't seem like they, that marketing was kind of doing anything less for it. Although I, I don't know what, what's happening. I never knew what happened behind scenes. Um, behind the scenes, but, uh, it, you know, just did not do, you know, at that time, I think, um, when you talk about how many people are watching, you know, at that, I think they, it was like eight to 10 million were watching. And, um, and at that time, you know, they, they wanted, you know, 18 to 20 or whatever. So, um, or I'm not, that might be too big of a number, but, um, it didn't do that. And then, you know, and then it's, it's lived its life outside of NBC. It's even, I think it's actually on Peacock now. Well, we had talked to Simon Moore a bit about the ratings of the show, and and he had sort of talked a little bit about NBC, not directly sort of disowning the show a little bit, but also being not too happy with the ratings. But what he said was, is that uh, what came to the rescue was the internet at the time, and sort of these, you know, uh, burgeoning sort of online communities. And I was wondering, you know, what has been your experiences like uh, with online communities, uh, places like the Tenth Kingdom Connection? You know, what role do they have with you and in sort of continuing the popularity of the series? Um, I think that they they totally uh, are continuing the popularity of the series. I mean, there is a I originally this the 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 Internet, um, which wasn't even the Internet. It was I mean, to me, at least it wasn't. There was a. Because as soon as it started getting released in other countries, mm-hmm. that's when it like it 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 really was like um, it, it, I thought like it was really making its mark. Like French, German, um, uh, uh, Spanish, um, Russia, huge in Russia, huge. Um, uh, the Ukraine, um, you know, uh, Brazil, you know, like so. So the 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 show kind of traveled across the globe and that's when it started to kind of like have a footing that had nothing to do with american television and so that's it that actually kind of became confusing to me because i was like wow it's so popular it's like i'm getting like all these messages and letters and all kinds of things from all from everywhere in the world (laughs) and you know here in america it just didn't find its footing um but i over time the internet like these groups are you know uh they, they, I think they play an important part, definitely, in kind of continuing the uh, the love for it. Um, 
which is just a it's fantastic. I love it. Um, it's it's uh, it's hard to keep up sometimes because it's like I mean I you know my focus is is definitely elsewhere. Um, uh, and and sometimes you know you, you get stuck. It's like you don't want to like always be part of that because it's like well then I'm not really focused on you know what's new in my life. Um, and so and I have to kind of focus on this. But I love it. It's like I think it's you know um, they have been very useful uh, in, 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 in propagating the, the, the next generation in, in, in watching the show. And it's, um, and it seems to be a real kind of, a lot of people watch it at, during the holidays and a lot of people watch it because they're depressed and they just put the 10th kingdom on. And, um, I, I, you know, what it's done like for the world is it makes me the happiest person ever. I mean, I think it's, you know, that means that I've done something. I've moved people. I, I've done exactly what I, what I planned to do when I first started becoming an actor. Um, and so, um, and um, besides that, I think that, you know, they, they're, they've become very powerful in trying to create a sequel, which, um, which has been very difficult to get off the ground. Um, and I'm sure Simon talked about this, We've pitched it a number of times and, and, um, and we came up with some really great ideas of what it should be. Um, and uh, we actually convinced people that it was a great thing to do, but it's, it, it, it's locked up in a library. Um, somebody owns it and, and they don't want to release the rights to, uh, to anybody to redo. And so, you know, it's, um, you know, I think, we check in every once in a while to see if they're ready to go. Um, and, uh, but as, so far they're not. Right. I mean, it, it's, it's, it's very it's, frustrating because at one time, I think maybe two years ago, we were really close and we actually did a whole video of all these people from the 10th uh, kingdom connection. Mm-hmm. Um, just an entire like interview, like a 15 minute interview of different people kind of talking about, you know, the power of the show and, um, you know, we would ask questions and they would, you know, and that, that was in, in a package that we created kind of, a, um, uh, like a pitch deck, you know, to create, um, and, and, and the people at this company sonar loved it. They were just like, Oh my God, this is fantastic. And then, but their higher ups just, you know, they, they just don't want to let go of the, I'm not sure why people don't let go of the library. I would assume that because they think this is our library because it's all of Halmy's stuff. Right. So I, I would assume that people don't let it go because at some point they think we're going to sell the entire library again. So we want to make the most money. So if we release something, then, then that takes that, that title out of the package and we want the whole package to be sold. And so I guess kind of that's, that's the attitude. So they're just trying to keep it all sort of cohesive as one sort of library. I, 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 that's my, it's only my speculation. I don't really know why Mm -hmm. companies do that. So, I mean, for you, you know, personally speaking, you know, say two years down the line, 10th Kingdom sequel gets greenlit. Uh, How cathartic is that for you? Um, Well, one, it would be cathartic just because I put a lot of time in in producing a sequel um, and that would feel really good. Um, And uh, not sure if two years down the line, I'd be (laughs) I'd be something I don't know what I'd be in it anymore. Um, but, uh, I would certainly want to be in it. Um, uh, you still got the costumes, right? 
<laughs> yeah, I'm actually thinking of, 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 of giving them away. Um, Give them to me. I, I'll yeah, take I just, them. I, you, as you get older, you start to think to yourself, oh my God, my kid's going to have to go through this stuff at some point. And right, Brian yeah. gotcha. means nothing to him. He's going to end up throwing it out. Um, yeah, no, it would be totally cathartic. I, I mean, it would be a, 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 a wonderful conclusion to, I think, what absolutely, I mean, if it doesn't happen, we created great poetry and I think, uh, and we've, you know, we changed the world a little bit uh, with the Tenth Kingdom. And um, so I'm very happy about that. But just as a producer, um, it would make me really happy that we kind of came up with an idea that really um, uh, was able to kind of take this idea and, 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 and grow on it. You know, I mean, that's the other part. It's like, it's hard to convince people that the type of show it is um, kind of remains true to how Simon kind of sees it. And so, and I think these days, you know, uh, although it might be changing a little bit, but these days, you know, people are not quite seeing um, that, that value in that kind of uh, storytelling. And so that's unfortunate because I think his storytelling is pretty straightforward and fantastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've seen so many really interesting miniseries coming out from places like Netflix and, you know, so many different places. And the budgets on those shows seem like they would be comparable to what you uh, two had done originally on The Tenth Kingdom. So, I mean, my fingers are crossed for a sequel to come out one day. Um, but just sort of as a, a final kind of wrap up question um, for you is this, what do you think is the sort of lasting legacy of The Tenth Kingdom? Well, I think that... Um... One of one of the things I think is that fairy tales will forever teach us things about ourselves, and uh, they will always be aspects of storytelling that we can rely on to uh, both learn from and to be comforted by. Hmm. Um, and the twist on this particular fairy tale. Um, which deals, I think, with, you know, very real psychological issues, um, which is about abandonment and about uh, the lust for knowledge and the lust for magic and the lust for uh, uh, for being somewhere else, you know, which uh, the queen uh, or the mother kind of str- uh, desires, um, is the twist on, on, on this particular fairy tale is, uh, is just wonderful in that it it, it it gives a contemporary audience um, a means to find that uh, that comfort and and that kind of teaching um, for very simple uh, concepts and and so um, I think it's I think Simon was able to take a very old story and make it into something that contemporary audiences can use to their fullest advantage. And, um, and this will always be the case. It, it'll never change. Mm. Um, and, uh, and, and I'm really happy and proud to have been part of it. <laughs> well, with that, uh, Scott Cohen, thank you so much for your time. It's been amazing talking to you about the 10 kingdom. You're welcome, Matthew O'Mara. Thank you very much. And that's the episode. Special thanks to Simon Moore and Scott Cohen for taking the time to be on this podcast and making this really special. 
And thank you for listening to the show and stay tuned until our next episode.